Good morning. My name is Matt Mattoon. I'm the children's pastor here at Hillside. Um, and let's see, what should we talk about today? Oh, good. Government. How delightful. Are you guys down? You in for this? All right. So Sarah did have a good laugh assigning this to me. Um, <laughs> Jeff was like, what a great time to talk about government. Let's give it to Matt. <laughs> um, but they, they lovingly did so. They know I enjoy this topic as difficult as it is. Let me say up front, um, my job as a preacher of the word is to uh, stew in the text, to marinate in it, to pray, and I'm probably going to offend about 97% of you because I'm talking about government. But the good news is I'm an equal opportunity offender, so we're all going to be offended together. Um, I offer these meditations to you, though, in all seriousness, um, in, in earnestness, um, uh, I, um, I, but in humility. Um, I do not expect for you to, believe, to, to, to agree with me about everything I say today, and I just want to put that up front. Um, one of my favorite theologians, N.T. Wright, says about 30% of what I'm going to say today is not true at all. The only problem is I don't know which 30%, right? So we all know this is how humans work. So, um, so please, I offer you this as a gift. Um, stew over it and just don't take it uh, as, as true just because um, somebody said it from up front. So um, why don't we all grab our sermon notes if you have them. Um, on the back is the scripture, and I'd like to read those together. We'll be reading 1 Peter 2, 11 through 17 from the NRSV. So, let's see, raise them up if you got them. Great. Okay, excellent. Let's read together. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and exiles to abstain from the desires of the flesh that wage war against the soul. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that, though they malign you as evildoers, they may see your honorable deeds and glorify God when he comes to judge. For the Lord's sake, accept the authority of every human institution, whether of the emperor as supreme or of governors as sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to praise those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing right, you should silence the ignorance of the foolish." As servants of God, your freedom as a pretext for evil. Honor everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, honor the emperor. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just ask that the meditations of my heart today would um, in some way capture um, the spirit of what you want to say today. Holy Spirit, uh, you're welcome here. We ask you to be speaking and um, to uh, coax us on to greater discussion um, and conversation about the truths found in your word today. In the name of the Son, amen. All right, so... Um, very, uh, at, from the outset, it's very important that I first say, Peter, as he's addressing this, Peter is writing under the Roman Empire, right? And at the very end of his letter, he signs off and he says he's where? Where is he? 
says he's in Babylon. Well, we know he's not actually in Babylon. It's what he calls Rome, right? He's in Rome. He's in prison. And who's the emperor? Nero. Nero. Not a great guy, right? Not nice to Christians. Not nice to anybody else. Really good at killing people in his family, right? So, Peter, the pastor from jail, is writing to a bunch of folks in Asia Minor, Turkey, present day, a bunch of folks who are literally exiles, outsiders, literally uh, foreigners, literally immigrants, literally people who have almost no legal standing in the Roman Empire at all. Now, sometimes we see these words in First Peter, and I grew up with some of these songs, and they're wonderful songs, and we think of the strangers in the world and, and the strangers and aliens. We think of these words as um, metaphors, like, um, this world is not my home, I'm just passing through, right? And it's a, it's a metaphor. But no, Peter is actually saying, okay, here I am, writing from the belly of the beast, Babylon, Rome, with a crazy emperor, and I'm going to ask you to pray for him. And I'm going I'm to write to you and say that all the governors that this crazy emperor has sent to Asia Minor, I want you to honor them and respect them and place yourself under their authority. You got the gist of this? It's not easy to read, is it? It's not easy in our context. It's much more difficult if you can imagine their context. Right now, what Peter is doing in in the um, from verse eleven here to the next chapter is he's setting up he's setting up uh, kind of a mini sermon about following Jesus by submitting to human authorities that look nothing like Jesus. You got that? Can I say it one more time? Following Jesus by submitting to human authorities that look nothing like Jesus. So he's going to say, yes, foreigners, exiles, we know that the government is treating you terribly. Submit to them. Respect them. Pray for them. And he's going to go on. Uh, Jeff's going to preach on this next week. Slaves, I know. Your masters are terrible to you. Submit to them. Jeff's going to unpack that next week. And then he's going to go on and say, wives who have ungodly husbands who haven't come to Christ. I know, it's difficult. Work out what it means to live under your ungodly husband. Now, does this submission just mean straight up obedience? Without question? I got one. Thank you, Shannon. <laughs> Only one person went like this. No, a vociferous no. Say No. No, absolutely not. Um, otherwise, we'd be in a lot of trouble, right? If Christians always obeyed every government we've been under, that would be a problem, correct? Yes. Okay, good. And remember, real quickly, remember uh, Peter, the guy who wrote this letter, um, when he's in trouble with the Sanhedrin, which is a, a, a human authority, right? He says, we must obey God rather than people, Right? Right? Okay. So let's just set that up real quickly. Um, so, when Peter uh, addresses foreigners submitting to government and then 
talks about masters or uh, slaves submitting to masters and then wives submitting to husbands. Right in the middle, you get the reason why, because that's how Hebrew po- poetry works. <laughs> it's, like, it's called a chiasm. So right in the middle, you get the reason why. And you might know this first. First Peter 2, 20, wait, is it 21 or 22? Anyhow, to this you are called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should what? Follow in his steps, right? To this you are called because Christ suffered for you to just give you salvation? No, he's leaving you an example. He wants imitation, not just admiration. It means nothing at all to him for you to say, hmm, I read, I read your story, Jesus. Pretty brave stuff. That means nothing to him. He actually wants you to look at what he does when he's in front of Herod, when he's in front of Pilate, when he's in front of the Sanhedrin. He wants you to look at what he does when he's under an ungodly human authority and he wants you to do the exact same thing. Now, does that hurt to hear? It should. If it doesn't hurt, you might not, you might not be listening, <laughs> right? Okay, here we go. A call to imitation, not admiration. At the center of this passage is the example of Jesus submitting and suffering to an ungodly authority. All right? Now let's talk about the word submit. What does submit mean? In Greek, tasso. It means to place yourself under. Let's just make this easy on everyone. Submit. In uh, Ephesians 5.21, it says we're all supposed to be submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. That means Goog, Goog will submit to me, I will submit to Goog. Jane will submit to me, I will submit to Jane. All of us. There is no, <laughs> there's, no there's just not a hierarchy um, among the kingdom of God. The other thing that's helpful to understand is that placing under is very, sim- very similar to the Greek understanding of humility. Uh, when Jesus says humble yourself, Literally, the word means place yourself in a lower position. If you're in a high position in life, take a lower position. Why? For a lot of reasons. For one reason, that's, that's where Jesus is. That's where he likes to hang out with the lowly, the powerless, right? So when we submit, what we're saying is we're humbly accepting that there are folks who have uh, authority over us. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that. A little bit more on Jesus. What does it mean for Jesus to submit? Well, I suggest to you that Jesus has shown us a way to both submit and subvert at the same time. And that's really important. Yes? Yeah. Because when he's in front of Pontius Pilate, he is absolutely submitting. He's going through all the motions. He doesn't, he's not going to raise a, a rebellion. He's not going to call for swords or anything like that. But he's very clear. He's very clear that Pilate has no power except the power that is given from above. That's subversion. And we, sometimes we forget how political Jesus' message is because we hear these words and they're kind of coded to us. Messiah means king. Son of God meant king. Son of David meant king. So whenever people are saying those things, they're saying Jesus is king and Herod's not. Jesus is king and Pilate's, right? Jesus is king and Caesar is not. These are explosively revolutionary ideas in this time. 
very political. If anyone ever, if anyone ever says that Jesus was not a political actor, they're just wrong. He's claiming, he, he does not come to set up like some spiritual kingdom in order to be the counterpart to the earthly, worldly kingdom. No. He says, I'm setting up a kingdom that's over all earthly powers and all heavenly powers. Amen? There are, you have no, your, your citizenship does not belong to do two different kingdoms, folks. If you are a follower of Christ and you belong to his kingdom, you have one king, one kingdom, and that's your allegiance, period. Okay, one amen. Right. I did not expect anyone to agree with me, but that's okay. Thank you, Ruth. She's my wife. <laughs> Thank you. You're looking good today, babe. All right, that'll pay off later. <laughs> she is. Um, don't look. Don't look. Um, submit. <laughs> submit and subvert at the same time. We see Jesus throughout his ministry, not just at the end. We see him both submit and subvert at the same time, right? He says, I haven't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And yet, how does he fulfill the law? By subverting the law. All the time. Frustratingly so, right? So one of my favorite examples is he goes out, remember the woman with an issue of blood touches him, a bleeding woman. She's healed. What is Jesus supposed to do immediately? Yeah, go outside the city gates. For how many days? Seven days. Wash himself and then come back. What does he do? He goes and touches a dead girl. That's, he just broke two laws in like 30 minutes or 20. I don't know how far it was. Maybe 10 minutes, right? Now, does Jesus go outside the city walls and cleanse himself for that? No. Why? Because by fulfilling the law, he's trying, he's trying to show you what, or show all of us what the law was actually meant to do in the first place. He's filling full the law with its full meaning, which means he subverts, he subverts authority even while he submits to authority. This is very important for us. The submission of Christ to authority also includes things like loving his enemies, right? On the cross, he's literally praying for the people who kill him. He's literally praying for those folks to be forgiven, right? Um, retaliation is refused at all, at all times in the kingdom of God. Jesus has no room for swords. Um, as 1 Peter 2 talks about, um, Jesus is patient enough to just wait and let his good works speak that his works would silence the foolish talk of foolish people when God vindicates him and raises him from the dead. And of course, part of his pattern as well, and we see this in First Peter, is that he suffers for doing good, right? Because when you do follow the king who is Lord over the kingdom of God, you're going to end up clashing with the kingdom of the world. Amen? Give me a tepid amen, because you only half mean it right now. Okay, give, no, give me only a tepid amen. Okay, because the kingdom of God 
looks like this. The kingdom of God looks like lowering yourself. The kingdom of God looks like opening your house to the poor and the diseased and the crippled, the people who can't repay you. The kingdom of God looks like visiting the prisoner, the orphan, the widow, the immigrant, the foreigner, the sojourner, anyone who needs help, right? The kingdom of God looks like uh, bending over and washing feet. It has almost nothing to do with the kingdom of the world. And remember, folks, Revelation is clear. There are only two kingdoms in the universe. There's the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world. And if you know, if you've sung Handel's Messiah, in the end, the kingdom of this world, singular, there's only one, which means all of our governments that you see, they're all just different manifestations of the same worldly power. The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Jesus says of temporal powers and of heavenly powers, mine, all mine, because he's the only one who knows how to serve as king. Oh, whoa, I didn't even ask for an amen. That's, whoa, you're in danger of becoming Baptist. All right. Live good lives among the people or the nations or the Gentiles or the pagans. It can be translated any of those ways. Live good lives among people and silence the ignorant talk of foolish folks. Okay? We could talk about the examples of Joseph and Daniel, but you could look those up. I want to talk, um, my father-in-law doesn't know I'm talking about him today, but I'm going to anyway. Uh, Vlad uh, Guzikov, my wife's father, course he's one of my heroes um and i do mean that um he uh grew up in the former soviet union in ussr uh he was born in crimea born and raised he was a world-class concert cellist his ungodly human authority took him enlisted him and sent him to siberia in order to ruin his hands so that he couldn't play the cello anymore so that he couldn't travel the world and tell people what the Soviet Union was like. And it did not help at all that he was openly an open confessor of Christ as king. If Christ is king, who is not? The czar. Another form of Caesar. Caesar. <laughs> right? So, Vlad submitted to the Soviet government, even though he had a KGB operative on his tail when he left, when he fled. That's a real story. You can ask Ruth more about it. And yet he submitted. He was respectful to his officers. He was respectful to the men he worked with. And his example was so blameless that he silenced the ignorant talk of foolish people. But as he submitted, just like with Jesus, he also subverted because he understood he could not, as a follower of King Jesus, he could not pledge his allegiance to any earthly power. And so when they brought him before them and asked him to, uh, asked him to swear an, a loyalty oath, he refused as should any Christian in any government. Now, I know that's a strong saying, but I believe it. You can hold on to it and weigh it. Because when you swear a loyalty oath to a kingdom of this world, you're going to, uh, uh, just by nature, it's going to come into a huge clash 
with what you believe about the kingdom of God. It will. My father-in-law, Vlad, lived as free. The text here in verse 16 says, as free people, right? Uh, Peter is pastorally saying, uh, I know how you're being treated, but actually, though you're being treated like slaves or outcasts or sojourners or immigrants or whatever, you're free. That's a political statement. It's not just you're free in Christ, like how we think of it. It's an actual political statement. He's saying, you're free. Meaning, you're free from the government. The government is, the government is over you in one sense, but God is over the government. So you are free. But with the freedom, with that freedom, what does Peter ask his people to do? He says, in your freedom, serve. In your freedom, become slaves to God and to others, right? This is what you use your freedom for. Why? Because this is what Jesus did, right? Jesus left us an example. He didn't just save us. He left us an example. And so in the same way that Jesus submitted to an ungodly authority, we're called to do the same. Because by doing so, when we suffer out of love for others, then we show people what Christ is all about. As Martin Luther said, he captures the paradox well. A Christian is a perfectly free Lord of all, subject to none, right? This is something Peter knew. This is something my father-in-law knew. A Christian is perfectly free Lord of all, subject to none. And yet, a Christian is a perfectly dutiful servant of all, subject to all. In our freedom, let us serve. In our freedom, we submit out of, we submit to each other, one to another, out of reverence for Christ. That means I submit to all of you, right? All of you, right? I submit myself to every person. Let's talk about uh, some implications this might have for today. Um, again, you don't have to agree with any of this, but this is the best I can do. Number one, God is always sovereign over human governments. What this means is God is over human governments and he can use them. He can order them and uh, uh, whatever stupid decisions they make, he can redeem those for good in the same way that when I make a stupid decision or, or Joseph's brothers made a stupid, he can redeem any stupid thing for good. That's just a gospel principle. And you see throughout the Old Testament, he's moving nations around and using them however he wants. Now, what we must not think is that because God ordains human authority, we must not believe that everything that humans do with their authority is approved by God. That's point number two. So God's given me some authority. God's given Ron some authority, right? We actually can make decisions. And that determines real things in this life. Does that mean everything I do with my authority is good? No. So this is pretty easy. Do we believe every human government does good things? Have you seen the news? Ever? <laughs> okay, good. So number two, God does not authorize or ordain the decisions of human governments. This is very important. Why? 
Come on, go to the easy answer. Someone say Nazi Germany. (laughs) Good, there you go. Brilliant, all right? We cannot believe that every action of Babylon or Egypt or Rome, we can't believe that every decision that every human authority, every person has made is good. That's just ridiculous and it doesn't bear out in Scripture. Number three, God and government are not equal masters. This is very important. Sometimes we're tempted because a lot of us do love the land we live in and our constitution is ingenious. It's beautiful. It's fantastic. We can believe all of that and still admit that the constitution itself was written because the forefathers of this nation all thought, you know what? People aren't fantastic. Not all the time. So that's why there are all checks and balances in there, right? So we, we look at this and we, do, we always confess that God and his kingdom take absolute precedence over everything, right? And when the early church confessed that Jesus is king, when they said that, they implicitly were saying what? Caesar is not. So Peter will say, right? Peter will say, submit to the emperor, Nero, who's crazy. Peter will say, honor the emperor. Paul in 1 Timothy will say, pray for the emperor. That's great. That's all good. But devote yourself to the government. Devote yourself to the place. Devote yourself to the politician. No, no. That's ridiculous, and it's idolatry, folks. Don't do it. You only have one king, one kingdom, and we got to get that straight. We're going to make a lot of mistakes otherwise. Number four, we always pray for the good of our temporal leaders, no matter what their character or what their actions, always. Uh, That includes mayors, school teachers, police, bus drivers, whatever, anyone who has authority in our community. We pray for them. So that evangelicals can get more power in this world? No. Because that's a kingdom of the world way of looking at things. No, we're not here to get power. We're here to serve. We're here to give up power and take care of the orphan, the widow, and the immigrant. Number five, we obey whatever aligns with the kingdom of Christ. This one's pretty straightforward, right? So don't murder. Do we agree, everyone? Okay, good, great. Um, (laughs) Six, we respectfully disobey whatever opposes the kingdom of Christ. When any human authority asks us to do wrong, we do right instead, and we willfully, humbly accept the consequences. Right? Now, here we could look at so many wonderful examples. Corey Timboon and not... Ten boom in Nazi Germany, hiding Jews. She knows what's going to happen. She and her sister are caught. They're sent to a concentration camp, and her sister dies. She lives, but her sister dies. That is submission to a terrible government, and yet a subversive submission to a terrible government. We could talk about Oscar Romero. We could talk about Dorothy Day serving uh, meals out of her New York apartment during the Great Depression and the city trying to shut her down and the local church trying to shut her down and her saying, with all due respect, no. King Jesus, 
says, I have to feed people who are hungry or they will die. Right? And then, of course, Martin Luther King. Um, Now, I would direct you to the back of your outline. Um, Most of you, I hope, have read uh, King's letter from Birmingham Jail. Um, This is a response. I put three excerpts there. This is a response to eight white clergymen who were like, King, dude, you got to cool it. Calm down. Uh, uh, remember, you need to submit to the government and authority. You're, causing, you're making too many waves. And King's uh, response is beautiful. Let's look at that second uh, standalone paragraph. In no sense do I advocate evading or defying the law, as would the rabid segregationist. That would lead to anarchy. One who breaks an unjust law must do so openly, lovingly, and with a willingness to accept the penalty, right? And then he goes on to say, someone who does that is actually more faithful to the spirit of the law than someone who just goes along with an unjust law, right? This is what it means to be part of the kingdom of God. We cannot, we cannot obey the kingdom of the world when it tells us to do things that are unchristlike. We will not. Six, no, sorry, seven. We only use kingdom of God tools. Part of what Jesus is doing in his lifetime is he refuses the sword, he refuses insults, he refuses all the kingdom of the world tools for revolution. He could have done it. He could have done it any time. But he says, no. We only achieve a difference in our communities through kingdom of God means, which means prayer, which means humility, which means serving, which means taking on a lower position and serving people who are lower than us in station, in economic status, and in skin color. That's our call as kingdom of God people. And finally, eight, the kingdoms of the world will never look or act like the kingdom of Christ. So just stop expecting our government to look like Jesus. It's never going to happen. You're never going to find a nation that looks like Jesus ever. So don't look for it. Because friends, at the end of the, that road is idolatry of the worst kind. And you'll find that you're worshiping in one way or another. You're worshiping the kingdom of the world. You're worshiping the nation. You're worshiping the government, the leaders defending or attacking. And that comes to take over your mind when you should be praying when you should be serving and working for the good no matter what. So the kingdom of God looks like this. And no matter how you voted, (laughs) whenever you voted, we can all agree on this, I hope. Kingdom of God followers always look like and follow the king. He gave us an example and he told us to do stuff and we better get about doing it. We open our homes to the poor, the foreigners, the immigrant who cannot repay us. We serve those in prison. We visit those who are sick. We go to those who need uh, water and those who are hungry. This is what we do. We go to the smallest, the least, and that's our priority. The kingdom of the world can sometimes mimic it. But the kingdom of the world can never do what God established the kingdom of God to do. 
So folks, we have a task and we need to put aside our attachments to the kingdom of the world. We need to knock it off, get off of Facebook, stop making stupid posts, insulting people in power, and we need to start praying and serving and lowering ourselves by the grace of God for the glory of the only king in the universe, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Amen.